I'm Cahal Summers. And I'm Deirdre Lane. You're Chagas Sustainability Advisors, and you're welcome to the Chagas Environment Edge podcast, bringing you the latest information, science, and opinion to improve farm sustainability. With Halloween fast approaching, we have a very special guest joining us to chat all about bats. Probably one of the most recognisable environmentalists in Ireland for many years, an author, ecologist, and broadcaster. We are joined by Aina Nilauna on our latest episode. Aina confirms whether Bram Stoker was correct in his assumptions about bats and vampires and tells us all about the life cycle of bats, their role in ecology, how farmers can improve habitats and what you should do if you happen to find one in your house. Well, bats are mammals. That means that they um, suckle their young with milk depths and they're warm-blooded. So the thing that makes them very interesting from a point of view of mammals is that they are they can fly. They can actually fly, which, which other mammals can't. I mean, things like flying squirrels can kind of glide along, but bats can actually fly up and down and round and are aerial creatures. So they're mammals then with wings, with with them scaly wings. They don't have feathers on their wings. They're not birds. They're not in that department at all. And um, they have evolved in such a fashion that in our latitudes, they feed on insects. So rather than competing with the birds who also feed on insects, things like swallows and pine, swallows and house martens and, and swifts, which feed by day, they, they have evolved to feed at night. So the, the, the food source is always there, but at nighttime, the birds aren't eating it, so so the bats do. So that's what they are. I mean, their um, front arms are modified to be the wings, their back legs then are, some, of them, some species are attached to the wings, and they are able then to fly through the air and catch insects in the dark. And this, of course, always struck people as being a trifle odd you know, things that were out flying at night when nobody could see, how would you be able to do that? And, and you know, there's all sorts of, of terrible um, mad mad notions about bats that aren't true. And I suppose it all goes back to, all goes back to the bad PR that they had. I remember being in, in Pisa long ago in Italy where you have the Leaning Tower, and we all know about the Leaning Tower, but the Leaning Tower is only the bell tower of a cathedral. I mean, it's only it's only a note because it's leaning. But the cathedral is wonderful. It's one of the very earliest cathedrals built in Gothic cathedrals in the 1100s. And people couldn't read. And a lot of the stuff on the cathedrals then were to teach people about the religious matters that they needed to know. So the door of the cathedral has wonderful carvings on it on the to open the great door. So the one side of it has carvings of the angels bringing the saved souls up to heaven, all carved out beautifully on the metal door. And these angels, of course, have wings like birds, feathers on them. And they're the good, and they're bringing the good souls up to heaven. Now, you can imagine what's on the other door, the left-hand door. These are the baddies, the bad the bad souls who didn't do what they should have done. And they're being escorted down to hell by the devils, who have wings like bats. No feathers. So from 1100 on, things with feathers were the goodies, the birds, and things with no feathers, these scaly wings, ocean fellas down to hell were the bats. So there's there's this sort of notion, you know, that somehow bats are evil or the embodiment of evil or can do unnatural things like being out at night. And I suppose this is why um, Halloween coming up, when you go to places and you look at or cards or illustrations about Halloween, there's bats all over the place. But the thing is that you won't probably see any bats on Halloween because by that stage of the year, the bats have hibernated. If you can only feed on insects and you're a carnivore, 
and there's no insects around because of the cold, well, then what are you going to do? I mean, in some cases, birds will actually feed on other things. If they're omnivores, they can feed on berries and things. Or if they're things like swallows and swifts, they can fly away off to warmer countries where there are insects. But the bats then, they have no food to eat either, and they hibernate. So they're, they hibernate when the weather gets so cold that there's no more food for them generally in the middle of October. This year, October is, is, is quite warm. They haven't gone away yet, and we're talking about it. 14th of October thereabouts and there's still no sign of them going to bed yet but um, they will hibernate then go into hibernation drop their body temperatures drop their breathing rates and be in a state of suspended animation I suppose until the weather is warm enough again for the insects to appear so they can be in hibernation for the end of October November December January February March it's April before they start flying around again and they have to hibernate someplace where they won't freeze to death so you have to go into places where the temperature is at a constant 10 degrees. And we know underground, this is the case in caves, in cellars, in graveyards where the landed gentry were buried in great crypts. And we don't love the landed gentry anymore and half these crypts have fallen into disrepair and there's holes and cracks in them and they, they and bats can go in there. So they're coming out of graveyards, they're going into graveyards, they're flying around at night. This is all very odd, they're, on the, they're helping the souls down to hell. So like they've got a very, very bad PR and this is absolutely appalling because Bats are wonderful creatures, a great part of our ecosystems and something without which we couldn't live at all because the part of the role they play in our ecosystems are of vital importance. Anna, you mentioned bats there and the types of bats. I'm presuming we don't have vampire bats in Ireland, thankfully, but what, how many types of bats do we have in Ireland or what's the most common ones? We have, we have nine different resident breeding species of bat in Ireland. And um, vampire bats do actually exist. I mean, people think they're only a made-up job with Christopher Lee and a big cloak and teeth and all that. But um, there are actually two species of vampire bat that live in caves in Brazil, and they will feed on the blood of animals. They bite their necks and have a little drink. They don't kill the animals because that'd be mad. You can't be killing a new cow every night for your dinner. So, but the farmers don't like them over there, biting lumps out of their out of their animals. But we don't have those in Ireland at all. There's three types of bats in the world, if you like. Bats that feed on insects, bats, these two species of vampire bat. And then we have insect, sorry, we have fruit-eating bats, which are in the tropical regions. And our ones are the insect-eating bats. Our ones are the ones that um, come out at night feed during the summer on the insects and then hibernate for the winter. And they're able to navigate and negotiate at night by a wonderful procedure called echolocation. This is how they find their way around. I mean, anyone that would say a bat is blind must have something wrong with them. I mean, if you were looking down from Mars and I take two people out to a woodland in the pitch black dark, yourself and Deirdre, and I ask you to run down through the woods and I'm watching you and you fall over the tree trunks and you crash into the trees and you crash into each other and I say are you blind and you say no we're not blind it's just dark we can't see a thing whereas if I bring down two bats and I let them off they're in between the trees they're wheeling around the place they're catching moths and midges and mosquitoes no bother to them at all so looking at this procedure wouldn't a fellow from Mars say well you know Carl and Deirdre are blind not the bats they didn't crash into anything so how this notion that bats were blind came about I cannot imagine they're not blind they can see but nobody can see if there's not enough light so they have this business of sound location and this is 
what they have been able to use to catch prey at night. And when you talk about insect feeder, feeders, I noticed you mentioned the weather there this, this October. It was quite warm yesterday and we've all stolen buildings at home. And the hum of activity of insects yesterday was just, there was a constant hum all day. And lo and behold, when I went out last night there, I could see a load of bats flying around. So they obviously had a good feed there last night anyway. Oh, absolutely. They would be they would be feeding up well now to get their layers of fat in order to um, be able then to, to have enough layers of fat to keep them going during hibernation. Now, they do slow down their metabolic rate enormously, but they do need to live on their layers of fat and they need to do that. And this is why it's so disastrous to a bat colony in winter if you were to disturb it or wake it up, because the amount of energy that they would actually need to get their temperature back up to 39, 40 degrees, and the energy to fly around uses up their fat supplies. There isn't enough insects to keep that going. They go back into sleep and they don't have enough fat to keep going. So it's a it's a, an appalling thing to, to disturb a bat colony during hibernation because you've confined them, you've consigned them to dying because there isn't enough food for them. So they're fattening up at this time of year. So the more insects that are around for them, the better. And they feed on insects at night, beginning with the letter N. So they feed on moths, they feed on midges, they feed on mosquitoes and people are amazed sometimes that we have mosquitoes in Ireland but we have about 20 species of mosquitoes what we don't have is malaria not yet anyway so the, the mosquitoes are there all right but they don't give us malaria not not since the time of Oliver Cromwell that when the weather got colder the malaria left Ireland not the, not the mosquitoes but the malaria did so they send out these sound pulses and each species, each of these nine different species of bats in Ireland emit a sound at a different level. Now, they're all above the pitch that we can hear, so that ones that are the highest are the soprano pipping streams, and they're away up at 55 kilohertz, whereas the deep baritones are probably the Lysler bats, and they're 20 kilohertz. Now, I can't hear any of these, but apparently children who have really good sharp hearing and haven't been banjaxed from having <laughs> headphones and the like can hear this. The 20 hertz can hear the, the actual um, Lyslers, they can hear the speakings of those, but they emit them out at that particular pitch. And then when it hits something and echoes back off it, the pitch changes because those, the waves slow down, come back at a lower level. And the bat hearing the thing coming back can tell how far away the sound thing was that the sound wave hit and where it was going and what it was doing, which is a truly amazing way of being able to find your way around. And that's why a lot of them have the most amazing looking to our eyes, faces and ears, their, their noses and that emit these sounds. And then they have these huge big ears like, like satellite dishes to receive the, the, the sound waves coming back. And, you know, it's click, 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 click. We, we, we are able to know how this is because we, there's things called bat detectors which are able to translate these high-pitched sounds that we can't hear to sounds we can hear and it's like Morse code staccato when you listen and that's the speed at which all these results are coming back from where they're they're seeing so they're not likely to fly into your hair unless your head is covered in moths and midges and mosquitoes because unless your, unless your head is completely empty and there's nothing inside it and the sound waves go right through but that you know, why would you spoil a good story with the facts? Bats are blind, they fly into your hair, they'll suck your blood, they'll kill you stone dead and they're in league with the devil. I mean, the creators haven't a chance, have they? Not really. <laughs> so if you're contemplating doing some works on a building um, where bats roost, Aina, what's the procedure to move forward with renovations? Um, is there legislation around to protect bats? 
Yeah, well, first of all, before I tell you the answer to that, let's just look at roosts for a moment, because there are two sorts of roosts, essentially. You have the bats, as I said, going into hibernation, wanting to be in a place where the temperature doesn't drop below 10 degrees. So these will be, as I said, ruined buildings, caves, ice houses, these kinds of things. And they're there for the winter, cellars of big houses, ruined big houses, all of that. But in the summertime, then, when they come out in April, then they mate and they breed and they have summer roosts, maternity hospitals, if you like. And they want to be in warm places where the bats' babies will not freeze. And this is when they come and take up residence in attic spaces, in roof spaces, in belfries, in people's houses, sometimes if they can get into the attic space. And this is really, really important because if you don't have a roosting, if you don't have places where they can breed, then we won't have any bats. So if you then need to do renovations or fix your roof or something like that, the, you know, the first thing you have to establish is are there any bats present? So anything that you need to do around your farm, quite often these things will require planning permission, will require permission to do these. And when you make application for your permission, the, one of the requirements of the planning permission will be to do a survey, not only maybe if it's just a building, a survey maybe of other bats in the building, if it's more than that or the surrounding areas, a whole environmental survey may be required. But if the, if the traces of the bats can be found, and you have to do the survey when the bats might be there. I mean, if you have summer roosts and you employ someone to do a bat survey in January, they won't be there because it's not the summer. But that doesn't mean that they don't use your roof as a summer roost. So like it has to be done in a satisfactory fashion. And then if that is the case, then and you really must fix your roof or you really must do something. And um, I've done a few of these myself. You, you um, organize the works so that the works will happen in the winter time when the bats aren't there, or if for some reason you're doing something in the caves and underground places, you do it in the summer when the bats aren't there, because the bats generally aren't in the same place all the time. So you don't you don't do it when they're in residence. You do whatever you're doing. And if it's a big res if it's a big roost and an important roost, you have to maybe leave access in your attic for the bats to come back, maybe put on a great big bat box if that's the case as well, and make allowances for the bats to continue because bats do absolutely no harm in your attic. They don't do any harm. They're not mice. They're not eating the timbers. They're not smelly much. I mean, you know, they, 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 they don't like mice have soft, soggy, horrible droppings. I mean, these lot are insect eating creatures and the drops and droppings have little tiny just bits of insect and hard shells on them. There's no soft moisture at all. And they don't build nests for their for their babies to be in. The, the babies just hang off the, the rafters over by the wall. So there's no question of any of that. So, I mean, having them in your, in your attic or in your house is not the same kind of an infestation as you might have if there were mice or squirrels or other things can go into people's rooms as well so you know it does and then of course they're really really important if you're a farmer because a lot of um the farming things that people grow particularly if you're an arable farmer you, you know aphids and insects like this are doing harm to your crops and each little bat will eat three thousand insects in a night and that's an awful lot of insects that have been scooped up by these creatures saving you having to spray saving you having to use insecticides 
you know, you have the bats doing the work for you and the bats being carnivores are not going to eat your crops, they're not going to do any damage in that respect. So they, all you're doing is my enemy's enemy is my friend. They're eating the insects that would let the eat loads of moths and sure caterpillars of moths can do great depredation on crops and they can catch the adults to fly in around and there won't be any eggs laid as a consequence afterwards. So there's no harm that I can see that's on a farm and loads and loads of good. So, you know, keeping the property so that you can have your farm good order, but that the accommodation for the bats is still there. They're not opposite poles, they can be managed together. And generally, if there's a survey done and bats are found, there will be inspections by um, the, the county councillors or whoever's the planning authorities to make sure that you have done it correctly and that the bats are still there afterwards. Good farming practice. And you know the way if you if you find a bird's nest, you should never go near it, maybe in an unsuitable place. But if you find a bat in an unsuitable place, I'll just give you an example. Last year, I came across one just in a shed at home underneath a light switch right beside a doorway in, in, you know, close to where a cat or a dog could get it. Do you, can you, should you move it or should you leave it alone or what do you do with it? Well, I mean, I presume you found this back during the daytime. Daytime, yeah. Yeah, and so it presumably, um, sometimes if it's late summer, kind of August, September, the baby bats are sometimes so good at flying and knowing where they should be going and they land somewhere and then it's the daytime and they stay put. But generally, if you leave it alone, it'll fly away again. You know, but if you do lift it up and stick it up a tree or stick it someplace else, it's not like a bird's nest. You're not going to do any harm. I mean, a bat like that is is an independent teenager that's gone wrong or something. Its family isn't going to abandon it and not feed it. You won't get hold of a little baby suckling bat because mammy won't lose it. Mammy's aren't that stupid. This is a, a, a mad teenager that got lost on the way home from the pub and landed on your light switch instead of going somewhere <laughs> else. So giving it a hoosh or lifting it up and putting it somewhere else is not going to do any damage to it. Now, obviously, you know, your good practice would be to wear gloves while you're doing this. I mean, you don't want to be bitten by bats. Now, there are, there are, no, there are no records of any rabies in Ireland in bats at all, but still you don't want to be bitten by any kind of wild animal. So if you were going to move a bat with your hands, just lift it up because they're quite small. I'd, I'd put on gloves to make sure that you're protected in that way. And it was the grandest little bat, it had a long set of ears on it. It was hanging upside down. Say his ears were nearly nearly an inch long, big long ears. But Oh gosh, uh, yeah, they have great imagination, these people who name bats. That was called a long-eared bat. Long, <laughs> that's the one. I knew where it was when I Googled it, all right. But I, I made a mistake. I should have moved. It was a bit low to the ground. I think a cat got it. I was out taking pictures of it, delighted with it, sending it around Twitter and everything. Came back a, a few hours later and the poor old devil was gone or on the ground dead, something must have got it. But well, if should, it's on the ground dead, something must have got it, yeah. yeah but yeah. you could have lifted it up and put it yeah. up higher. I mean, that wouldn't, it's not like a baby bird where you're not supposed to be poking. Yeah, yeah, you could. They're much more dependent for a long time. They can go around while dependent, but the bats aren't out in their own, so not the, if they're still dependent on their parents. So if you catch one, if you find one again, put it into a more sensible place, even up a tree, even someplace, so yeah. that when nighttime comes, it'll go off for itself to where it should be going. And if you find one on the curtain or something, we, we've had bats in here in the house every year, nearly for the last few years. But 
I presume you're, you let it out at night time rather than during the day. And if you, they, they love the curtain. No, no, but they, they come in. This is the thing. People have yeah, the windows open and there's a bat flying around the room and they nearly have a stroke. I mean, it's worse if a bird's flying around the room. They're doing poos everywhere and crashing into the window. And that lands on the curtains then, leaves the windows open and it'll go out itself, actually. You don't have to be hitting it with a tennis racket or anything like that. I mean, they're able to, they're able to find their way out of the windows open. So, I mean, if it's in the bedroom or something, shut the bedroom door, open the window and it'll have gone by the following day you don't have to put it out at all really it'll go away itself what can farmers do on their land to help bats in well i mean what they need i mean what what does any creature need it needs food and it needs shelter it needs somewhere to breed so i mean on a farmer's land bats need insects so having habitat that will have insects on it is good so um there's a particular bat called the Dobenton's bat, the water bat, for example, that goes over watery areas and scoops up all the insects that are over water. And of course, then many of our bats, the pipistrels, for example, and the low-eared one that you're talking about, they're, they're woodland bats. So um, by creating areas of woodland, by planting up trees, by not cutting your hedges to the scut, by having corridors, because bats aren't going to fly across the field, they'd rather be going along um, wildlife corridors, which is what hedgerows are. So they're the kind of places that um, will be suitable for bats to be able to hunt along. They don't like mad lights, so like new buildings with huge spotlights shining all the whole time disorients them. And I notice now I've been given some advice for buildings that street lights lights lighten up car parks lighten up areas common areas you can get lights that have kind of lids on them if you like i'm sure they have a technical name but the light shines down so that i mean if you're walking around underneath you can see where you're going the light is shining but if you're flying up above there's a kind of a shade on the top of its light the light is not going up into the air where it's not wanted anyway and the bats are not being affected by this light this them. so if you are putting in spotlights or big lights in your in your in your farm area try to see can you get something that's not going to shine up in the air where well, the lights not wanted it's a matter of buying those kind of lights and then the second thing then of course is 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 is, is habitat for them where they can breed sorry breeding breeding sites so old farm buildings old bridges old stone walls these are all places that they will breed in and you know more and more things that are being built on anywhere are not being built out of old stone any longer. People are using bricks and cement blocks and that sort of thing. Whereas if the old stone things from long ago, we've lots of stone walls around places. You know, a lot of these places are really, really important for bats. So if you have a few hollow trees, maybe, and they're, you know, don't be always cutting them down, particularly if you don't have to. Maybe if you have a roadside tree, you might be worried about that. But generally, other than that, you know, the trees are wonderful areas for that so think of where they, where are they going to get their food other insects about don't spray unnecessarily or if you have to spray your crop don't be giving a, a good lash to the headland and the whole field all around as well if you must spray only spray where i mean it's better practice than wasting spray anyway but but don't be spraying anywhere that doesn't need to be sprayed and indeed if you have enough bats you'll need to be doing less spraying anyway and then have places they can breed in so don't be repairing everything just for the crack and filling in every hole of if there's any kind of a little um, folly or stone walls or something like that, any cracks and crevices and that are really important for bats. So that's the kind of a farm that you want that will have bats on them. That's important, I think, in as well. I know uh, in the glass scheme, a lot of bat boxes were put up around the country and farms, but the lesser horseshoe bat can't get into those bat boxes, can't, it? It can't crawl, I think. It... 
Is that the case? The Lesser Horseshoe Bat only occurs in the west of Ireland, from Sligo down to West Cork. So it won't be an eastern species at all. And they live in caves. So they um, only nest in, so they only breed in stone walls, stone buildings, going into a wooden box and they don't go into holes and trees much either so like they, they tend to be associated with buildings so a bat box is not for them so if you have to live in the west of Ireland where these 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 bats exist it's old ruined buildings that they leave for them or they even build there was some sneering going on in newspapers in one county I won't remember I won't mention where they they were building some kind of a ruined building for the bats because a, a motorway was disturbing them and of course there was disparaging remarks about bat hotels, building hotels for bats while people have nowhere to live. There's always things like this. But there, that was for the horseshoe bats who really will only live in buildings. But the bat boxes, I mean, there's eight, there's nine species of bats in Ireland. Two species have never been found in bat boxes, but the other, the other seven have. So, you know, there's plenty of scope for bats and bat boxes. They will work for the other ones. And just to finish with that, you were fairly busy like others during lockdown. You're writing away on a new book there. Um, our wild world. Can you tell me a little bit about that? I, I I read it and I just, when I was reading it, it just sounded like you're chatting to me as you were read. It reads really, really well. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I was just thinking as I was saying, here's COVID now and, you know, we're all pulling together. The government's given us directions and we're all obeying the whole lot of us and it's costing people money and it's putting us out in an enormous way. But we're doing it because for the greater good and yet how much more so is the, what we're doing to the world affecting the world we live in with climate change and then that's very hard on what are you supposed to know so I thought if I write a book about how the world works this is how the world works this is what happens when pollination happens and therefore what happens when pollination doesn't happen this is how hibernation happens this is how migration happens this is what carbon sequestration means and this is what happens if we recycle is that really the answer to everything and explaining how how all of these things that we do has an impact on the world we live in. Now, I don't preach too much and say you mustn't do it. I mean, you, do, you come to those conclusions yourself. But if you can understand the impact, really the impact of what the way we live has on the world in which we are, then when regulations and rules and things come in, we'll be more inclined to understand why they are necessary because COVID happened very quickly. If you know you got the thing, you were extremely ill and there was a great danger you might get it. Climate change is happening slower, but it's inexorable. I mean, if we don't change the way we live very soon, it'll be like a juggernaut. It won't be able to be stopped and the world will change irreparably on this. So rather than preach too much about saying thou shalt not, I thought I would write a book that explained this is how it works. This is how it is. This is the wonderful world in which we live. This is what we're doing as we live in it. Now, is that what you want to be doing? Well, if that's what you want to be doing, grand, but don't say you weren't told. So I'm telling you. And look, it reads very, very well for any age group, no matter how much experience or knowledge you think you have on the topics, it, it reads really well. And, and for any of the farmers out there, our advisors, there's a section on farming in it, one of the chapters, and it's called The Best Idea the Human Race Ever Came Up With. So it's, it's really interesting to read. And that's just one section to have a look at. Look, Aina, I really enjoyed our conversation today and, and keep up the great work in keeping us, I, I, I suppose, giving us an understanding and appreciation for the nature around us. And I hope you and your family have a very ha happy Halloween. And we will. And we will have a great Halloween. Thank you so much to both of you. Thank you, Anna. That's it for this episode of the Chagas Environment Edge podcast. Thanks to Anna Leilauna for joining us on the show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. 
for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Cahal Summers. And I'm Deirdre Glenn. Join us next time for the Chagas Environment Edge podcast, signpost to farm sustainability.